Hello, everybody. I'm Phil Brand, President and CEO of AIM Employers Association, and welcome to This Week at Work. Welcome to the only show about the workplace that offers you front row seats and a microphone, bringing you practical, timely, and accurate insights so that you can more effectively lead your organization. It's Thursday, October 6th, episode 200. Today, from humble beginnings, who would have thought these two would make it 200 episodes and still have an audience? We bring back show favorites who left their mark on the show. Sorry we couldn't find Corona the Albino Squirrel. Also, we familiarize you with the new show format. And as always, we welcome your thoughts and take your questions. All this and more on This Week at Work. All right, great to have you all with us once again. With me, as always, is Bert Garland, shareholder with Ogletree Deacons, a leader in employment law. Bert, how are you doing this morning? Phil, I don't know. It's amazing. Uh, 200 episodes, that's all I can say. I, I can't believe it. And, and I think back to the first episode and then how that eventually led to the uh, the Corona squirrel and the rally that we had uh, during the coronavirus time. And I mean, I'm just starting to tear up here a little bit. I, I'm not quite sure uh, what to make of all that. Yeah, it's a, it's been a it's been a nice run and uh, happy to see the rebranding here. We thank uh, Feature Group for everything they've done for the program. And uh, you'll recall, Phil, we started out at the beginning of the Corona virus pandemic doing broadcasts every single day for about I think the first three months or so then we went to two days per week and then uh, as we've refined our program here we've we've gone to one day per week and uh, I think the really the the goal of the new format here is we want to bring people the most timely news that's taken place in the prior week and what they might expect as they head into the week ahead absolutely that that's what I like about the new uh the, the new naming even this week at work. We're gonna really focus on these issues that are facing us this week, right? If there's any current events or uh, things that are coming down the pipeline, we're gonna focus on that. Uh, we have a little bit new programming as it relates to some fun uh, segments of the program as well that we hope our audience will participate in. And I would just say sit back and uh, participate and give us some feedback about what you're seeing, what you like about it. Um, and we will continue to try and do our best to help you be most effective at running your organization uh, with the help of Bert and the team there at Ogletree. Bert, we've had some great Ogletree resources thanks to you and the law firm Ogletree. It's been a good, a, a very good partnership with AIM and Ogletree. And I think about some of the guests we have, and it, and it really starts with you and then bringing in some of the resources. Um, any uh, any in particular of our guests that come to mind for you? Yeah, I think the first one would probably be our, our most frequent guest we've had, and that's uh, Tom Chibnall from my office here in St. Louis, who's an OSHA expert. I love Tom. He does such a great job. Um, and, and he was recently at at our uh, HR summit that we did and took the stage and got to meet many of our members there. And I know a lot of our members work with Tom, but let's take a look at one of uh, Tom's highlight reels here real quick. Angie's asking, how often do we see OSHA inspections in professional services? 
a lot of these professional service firms even fall under certain ex exceptions to record keeping rules. Uh, so for instance, I can think off the top of my head, if you're a physician's office, you're, you're not required to keep an OSHA log. And uh, therefore it's very, it's less likely that OSHA is going to show up, but they do show up sometimes. I mean, it's, it's inevitable that it's going to happen in some capacity. And a lot of times they're looking for, they're not looking for, you know, your lockout tag out program because you're not locking tagging out of your personal computer there, but they might be looking for uh, emergency action plans or maybe even hazard communication plans, something that's a little bit more generic. Um, and a lot of times these inspections are, are these issues are driven by employee complaints. Uh, you know, one episode I, was avail I wasn't available uh, to be on that received some amazing feedback was that with uh, Luther Wright Jr. concerning discrimination in the workplace. Um, I did watch it and what a great episode that was. Yeah, let's go ahead and take a listen and a look at uh, a little bit of Luther's and my conversation. One thing that you just uh, brought up that's really important is we shouldn't make the race irrelevant. Uh, and, and I think that that's an important distinction. Can you flush that out a little bit more for us? I usually tell the story in my training uh, that I was at an event, I met a guy, we had a very lovely conversation. We happened to be uh, of different races. He said, you know, uh, Luther, I'm the type of person, you know, when it, when it comes to meeting folks, you know, I don't see color, I only see people. And so then I asked the question, I said, well, if that's true, then why are you telling me this in this moment? And he said, I don't understand. And I said, well, this is the first time we've ever met. Why was it important for you to tell me that you are the type of person who doesn't see race? And I said, I think what you were trying to say to me is, I mean, obviously I see that we're different races, but at the end of the day, uh, in terms of how I evaluate your character, you know, that stuff that matter. He said, yeah, yeah. He said, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I said, yeah, but that's not what you said. This is the, the whole notion of unconscious bias. We're in the habit of saying some things without really thinking about how they land with the person on the receiving end. But our goal at the end of the day is for us to say, in terms of how we make decisions about people in terms of character or ability uh, or in terms of worthiness for promotion, right? Those things uh, are an acknowledged difference, but they are not the points which make a difference in terms of how uh, we evaluate people. So there's really several high profile guests we've brought on, like Lee Nason from my firm. Uh, Lee is one of the country's foremost experts in OFCCP, but I really need to give a shout out to our correspondent on the front lines in Washington, DC. That's Jim Plunkett. Nick, do you have a clip of Jim to roll for us? I do. Pregnancy accommodation and federal level. The House just passed the, the, the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. A hundred Republicans voted for it. It's got uh, support from the, the, a lot of business groups in, in D.C. Um, this could be a bill that, that passes the Senate in, in the next few weeks would require employers to provide pregnant workers with, with reasonable accommodations. But we don't really see uh, much activity on the, the federal level in, in Congress, but this is one where there could be bipartisan agreement and could get to uh, President Biden's desk in a, in a month or two. Yep, you know, that's really great, Bert, but most importantly, I feel I'm very, very grateful for all the things that you have done for our members. I know many that are your clients, um, and Nick and I really put our heads together and we came up with a special segment just for you. And we're calling this segment Lawyer on the Clock. All right. You know, that music's a little catchy for me, Bert. 
This segment, you have six minutes. I know you all like the bill in six minutes. You have six minutes to give us a quick update of what's going around the country. Bert, you ready? Go. I'm ready. Let's roll, Phil. So real quickly, just uh, this is going to be a fast paced segment here. So lawmakers, of course, last week avoided a government shutdown. Uh, they extended the government fi funding deadline. Uh, I want also employers to be aware that the National Labor Relations Board has recently revised its mail-in ballot standards. In a decision released on September 29, the board revised its six-factor analysis that regional directors should use for determining when a representation election should be conducted by mail balloting as opposed to in-person voting due to COVID-19. It's kind of now, curious was that, because- Was that mail ballot an option prior to this? It was, but it was rarely used. And in okay. light of COVID-19, the board issued standards for allowing mail-in ballot elections very frequently. Uh, it's interesting that they have revised these standards in light of the fact that our president uh, said just last week also that the COVID pandemic is over, uh, so which is White House that, has had to walk back. I can back. see that being good and bad, right? If I'm at home and I'm in the um, the security of my home and nobody knows, that's one thing. If I'm having to go into a workplace and look union bosses in the eye and feel that pressure, that's another thing. Or if I'm at home and it's and I don't feel I'm in the security of my home and someone's standing over me as I check a ballot, uh, that can be a real concern. Yeah, I think that's the biggest problem is that uh, there's outside pressure that can be brought to bear upon people as they vote, including things like holding ballot, uh, ballot uh, parties and those types of things when people get together and vote collectively uh, rather than by secret ballot. Right. The question is, with mail-in ballot, does it really remain secret? All right, you're just under four minutes. Keep it rolling. All right, keep it rolling. I'll keep going here, Phil. So also the uh, Department of Labor last week, the inspector general warned of pandemic unemployment insurance fraud. In a recent DOL memo, the inspector general warned that uh, they paid out more than $45 billion in potentially fraudulent unemployment insurance pandemic benefits from March 2020 to Mar April 2022. Worse, that memo states that despite the inspector general's previous suggestions for ways to mitigate fraud and other improper payments to ineligible claimants, the agency had not taken action to implement those recommendations. So that's kind of a, a little bit going on uh, on the federal front uh, with respect to those. One more on the federal front, be aware that minimum wage increases for federal government contractors have been uh, ordered due to inflation. On September 29, the U.S. Department of Labor announced that $15 an hour minimum wage for federal contractors will increase to $16.20 because of inflation and those increases will play, take place January 1, 2023. So is Let's, that to suggest if you are a contractor to the federal government, then you would need to comply with that minimum wage? Or is that, that is, only for government workers? That is for government contractors. And again, we've had Lee Nason on this program before to assist uh, with providing some guidance to employers on whether they really are or are not a federal contractor. Right. Absolutely. And, and I know that's the tough part sometimes for people to to figure out. And, and that's when you might want to give Lee a call or our hotline a call and start walking through that Q&A process to determine your your status. All right. Keep us moving here, Bert. All right. Just on the state law front, not for Missouri, Illinois or uh, Indiana, but something that we should keep our eyes on, especially as it's starting on both coasts. 
Uh, on September 27, out in our favorite state, our favorite country of California, Governor Newsom signed an amended version of the uh, of a salary and wage bill. Among the new provisions, which will become effective on January 1 next year, is the requirement that California employers with at least 15 employees include the pay scale for any position in any job posting, including advertisements posted by third parties. Not to be outdone, New York has already passed a trade pay transparency law that takes effect November 1. Under that law, New York City employers are required to disclose salary ranges in their job postings. And again, that takes effect November 1. So keep wow. in mind, we're seeing those out on the coasts right now, but that is a trend that uh, seems to be sweeping across the country. Yeah, I can see that making its way. I guess my question is, if I'm using a recruiter and we don't net technically have a formal posting on a site like Indeed or someplace else, um, am I, but I am recruiting for the position, do I have any requirement for sharing salary uh, ranges? That would yeah, be I think, interesting to know. Yeah, well, I think if you are recruiting in the states of uh, New York and California, or if you're hiring for positions in those states, you're going to need to seek guidance on whether you have to comply with these new pay transparency laws. Right, less than 30 seconds, Bert. What do you want to close with? All right, let's let's close with this one real quickly. This uh, this one's a little bit fun. Uh, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals reversed a summary judgment order that a district court had granted in favor of an employer. Uh, this had to do the employer was an apartment complex. And what apparently happened is the apartment ownership was not happy with the uh, tenants that were living in the apartment complex. And one of the owners of the apartment complex said that there weren't enough white people there. And the owner also talked about changing the demographics and referred to one tenant as a trashy Mexican and another as a dumb Mexican. But wait, there's more. The supervisor was also told by the owner to hire a higher class of individual with the look of Ken and Barbie, which the supervisor understood as hiring a hiring preference for those who are petite, attractive, young and Caucasian. And so uh, obviously the uh, Court of Appeals took a look at this and not surprisingly uh, reversed the order of summary judgment from the trial court and said that a jury may see this as a form of employment uh, bias or discrimination. There you so go. a new trial Ken has Barbie. been new trials been ordered. All right. Uh, that is lawyer on the clock. We will get better at keeping you on time, Bert. Uh, but those are some very interesting, uh, very interesting perspectives, particularly Ken and Barbie. You think in today's world, who in their right mind would say such a thing like that? Following uh, Lawyer on the Clock, we are going to introduce the poll segment. We always love your participation. These polls really are very useful for yourself and for us as we're able to kind of guide our conversation. Here's the question for today. What is the most valuable benefit an organization receives from an excellent culture? You have five choices, improved teamwork and collaboration, better morale and trust, increased productivity and efficiency, retain and attract top talent, followed by better experiences for customer, and we do not have an all of above. So pick one uh, so we can see what you really believe is the most important for you, and we'd love to have your comments as well. Phil, thanks for uh, that covering that on the poll. I think uh, we're, we're, it's time for us to move on to a new segment of the show. The simple fact that the word humans is in HR means that this is a crazy profession to be involved in. Yes, 
even crazier than a zoo, but not as crazy as when I had my birds. Remember it back at the beginning? Oh my of gosh, the I remember you waving your arms, going crazy with the birds. Uh, we we'll, we won't ask you what happened to the birds. Um, only the listeners on that program will remember. Well, with that in mind, our next segment is meant to celebrate the wacky world of work. Producer Nick, let's roll for the first time ever. Filbert's Forum. Hi, Isaac. Can you hear me? Hello, can you hear me? How's it going? I can hear you. Appreciate you joining. Thank you so much. I've asked Jenny Bard from our BP team to join us. Uh, I have some difficult news to share. I know obviously you saw Robert's note earlier this month and uh, Priyanka's note this morning. Um, and unfortunately, based on the actions that the company needs to take uh, with where the market is headed, your role is one that <laughs> is impacted. And so today... All right. I don't know what you think about that, Bert, but I've been involved in too many separations to even count. But um, I've never done one online, first of all. I've always done it face-to-face. Just feel like that's the right way to do this. But if I did and someone showed up like that, I think I would be like the lady in the center who I think was kind of the witness to the to the uh, separation, who was covering her face and laughing. I don't know that I would be able to hold a straight face. Well, I think the 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 woman who was implementing the the reduction and forced the position and limit elimination, she couldn't keep a straight face. And you know what? Yeah. Uh, you know, I love the the ability of the person who's being laid off. Clearly, the individual was expecting this and decided to have a little bit of fun with it, showing up with the pink wig and drinking a glass of wine as his position's being eliminated. And uh, I love to see the humor in a in a very uh, you know, tense and otherwise unhappy occasion. Uh, hopefully that person has landed on their feet and moved on perhaps into the world of comedy. Yeah, I'm sure they all did not go that easily, but uh, maybe there was a little bit of uh, quitting quietly um, going on there for that individual as well. But I know that went viral. I, I, I just, we had to share that. That's quite funny. That is Philbert's Forum. If you find something funny and interesting that you would like for us to bring to the program, please share that with us and we'll be happy to do so. It's our own little version of ridiculousness. Phil, I guess I really could have saved the Ken and Barbie story for that one, huh? That could have been a good one. Yeah, we might revisit that one, Bert. All right. So as you can see, we're very excited about our new formatting, and we hope you are too. Let us know what you think. Now let's get to our main topic in the Employer's Lounge. So think of the Employer's Lounge kind of like the Teacher's Lounge. If you've been with us uh, at any point in time over the last 200 episodes, you've kind of got an idea that there's a little bit of difference in myself as a student and then it was Burt Jr. as a student. And in the employer's lounge, uh, the teachers were probably trying to figure out a way, how do we get little Philip to be a little bit more like Burt Jr.? Um, and that's what we're gonna do with the employer's lounge. It's really taking some of the best practices that exist out in the workplace and bringing them to you um, so that you're able to more effectively lead your organization. But before we do that, let's take a look at some of the other guests that we've had on the program, like Mikey Mack, our compensation expert. 
if I'm working there and then I find out that, of course, I'll know that someone's only been there for three months or two months and they were given a bonus just to show up. And yet I have been working here for all these years. It creates a morale issue. Uh, it just adds to the aggravation of, of dealing with trying to keep the morale up with your current staff and from a retention standpoint. A lot of times people say, well, they have to work six months. And if they don't work a full six months, they got to pay it back. Well, you know, the other employer is going to pay it. You, you know, yeah. if they want to leave, they're going to leave anyway. Healthcare did this for years with nurses. They were doing that for years and they found out that it was not really that helpful. What they rather do is they'll maybe give a, uh, a reward to in current employees that refer somebody in. Yeah. So that's another option that we've seen that was used in the past and it's coming back a little bit. Now that's a very positive thing for the employees. All right, so today's guest is Senior AIM Consultant Tanya Zion. Tanya has been on the program before. Uh, she was also at the Wayfinder HR Summit just uh, last month and did a great job. We got raving reviews. And Tanya does a lot of work with our members surrounding engagement, employee uh, opinion and engagement surveys, and working with employers, helping them with their workplace culture. Tanya is joining us from North Carolina. And Tanya, I have to ask first, did you have any effects from the hurricane? No, we didn't. I think the lead up to the hurricane and the preparation ended up being the bulk of it. And we just got rain. But my heart goes out to everyone that was in the path that's still dealing with cleanup. I know a lot of loved ones um, are still encountering that. So wishing everyone well that was impacted. Absolutely. All right. Um, so let's get on, Tanya. What is happening in the workplace today? I'm just going to set the stage a little bit. I'm out in Colorado today, and our topic has been remote work, working from home. Manufacturers seem to have turned the kind of the corner and people are back at work as um, they're trying to catch up with their business and supply chain. And it's a little bit easier to say, look, all of our manufacturing employees are here you need to come back to the office. We all support that team. But if we don't have that manufacturing presence, then it's a little bit um, more ambiguous about do I need to be at the office? And it seems to be hybrid schedule is uh, taking the way here. Uh, what are you learning as you're working with our employers in and around engagement and workplaces from work at home, working in the office or hybrid? Yeah, Phil, I think you're absolutely correct. Um, I heard a statistic the other day. Um, we're still studying this to really understand and survey organizations, but the best we can guess, there's at least 50% of the workforce right now that is working from home at least one day of a week. Um, and when we look at what employers are saying about their job opportunities, they see this as a non-negotiable. If there's not some sort of flexibility and work from home, they're not even considering that role. And so that really puts employers in a situation that I think we have to start looking critically at the system we have in place to say, how does this impact employee engagement? And what we're learning is that it is having an impact. In fact, when we look at the national index on the employee engagement scores, both internally that we reference here in AIM and then externally um, with organizations like mm -hmm. Gartner and, and those sorts of organizations, on the whole, we're seeing employee engagement actually slide back. We're losing some ground on that. And I think this is important to note that this distributed and hybrid workforce is absolutely having an impact. Employees want it, but employers haven't quite figured out how to manage it yet. 
Yeah. And you know, what's, um, what's difficult for me with that is, is I, I like to use data and information to make good business decisions. Um, but in the absence of data and information, I can use kind of my, you know, my gut, my feel, uh, my experience. And the way I would do that when I didn't do an employee and opinion engagement survey would be to walk around. Well, now I can walk around and talk to myself because no one there to observe and talk to and engage with. And it's really hard to get a feel and everybody is someplace else. Um, so what are, what are we seeing as it relates to employee and engagement feedbacks and or more people participating in surveys because of that? Uh, any insight from your experience there? Yeah, so we are seeing people participate. That's one thing that's remained high throughout all of this is people are willing to give their opinions as we're putting surveys out into the workforce. But what we're seeing as the, the scores are actually showing up lower and lower in a percent positive. Um, I love your example of being able to walk around the office and get a feel for the place. And what there are lots of things that happened with that, right? As we walked around the office, we were able to talk to each other. We were able to talk to people more organically that maybe weren't on our team or weren't part of our department. And what the data is starting to show us, both in the surveys that I've been working with and the focus groups I've been conducting, is that employees are missing that recognition. And when I have dug deeper and I've looked at this over lots of companies. It's not so much, they really appreciate the thank you gifts, the care packages that I know a lot of HR groups are still doing, but what they're craving and what they're saying is really preventing a full engagement is that recognition. Look, employees feel like they've been going the extra mile for a while now, and more than anything, they just want somebody to be able to drop a note in their inbox, mail them a card that says, hey, I noticed you went the extra mile, and I want to tell you how that impacted our team and how grateful we are for that. And Phil, this blew me away. Of all the things we asked about, salary, benefits, um, any of it, what comes back time and time again, it's just that recognition piece to say, hey, I want people to see that I'm here, I'm putting in the effort, and I'm a team player. You know, that's uh, really insightful because we just had a program not that long ago. And we talked about quietly quitting, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's really difficult if I work from home, I'm kind of in isolation. I might be on the calls that I'm supposed to be on, um, but it you may not know that I was online 30, 40 minutes early or an hour early or doing work in preparation for the day or at the end of the day because you were used to seeing me in that. I knew who stayed late. I knew who came in early. I knew who came in early and stayed late, right? And when, when it came time for merit increases, I could consider those factors as well as their productivity and, and so on. And now that that's a whole different game to try and make that decision now. I, so I, I can see where someone might say they're quietly quitting, which is really an outcome of no one's recognizing the impact I'm making. I think that that's true. And this recognition piece is really important. And so I think as our frontline managers, we've got to equip them to do the same thing when our workforce isn't right there physically with us. But also, in addition to that, I think the other thing that we're really seeing is people want their job duties quantified in a way that we haven't seen before. And so there's a couple things happening with the younger generations, and especially in this distributed workforce, is they want to know exactly what the requirements of their position are, and they also want to know the direct path to a promotion. What we're seeing more than ever is the younger workforce wants to be able to show their accomplishments on LinkedIn. They want to be able to say, hey, I've been here, and I've been putting in those 
early mornings and late and late nights. And I'll actually do that as long as I can tell somebody about it, which really isn't yeah. a surprise um, in the generation and, and the time that we're in. And so what that translates to for um, business owners and for managers is really having a handle on your metrics. You know, one of the things I talk a lot about is that intersection of process, people, and communication. And I think now more than ever, knowing what our process is, knowing exactly what our key performance indicators are for every role, and then empowering our managers to really be able to track that, manage that, and provide feedback on that is really, really key. And, you know, Phil, you had mentioned managing to data, not to a feeling. And that's why I think things like surveys, um, really keeping a track of one-on-ones and being in contact with all of the employees and really empowering those frontline managers with the tools they need to be more effective than perhaps they've ever been in keeping track of each and every employee. So, you know, one thing that comes to mind with this, well, I can see someone trying to have great intentions and one way to have good intentions to recognize you know, who might be going that extra mile would be to look at, you know, computer data, who's logged in, when did they log in, what did they do, email sent. And someone might interpret that as now you're big brothering me, right? And now this oversight is just too much. Um, While it was intended to be for good reasons of recognizing that extra effort. So I think there's a balance there in considering how we receive the information and what we do with it as we communicate that. Because if I thought someone was checking all those times, if that was something that isn't part of our normal process, I'm now going to feel like someone's looking over my shoulder when really they're looking to give me a pat on the back. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny. I just saw a TikTok video the other day. I don't even have a a TikTok channel, but somebody shared it with me and it showed this woman. She had her laptop with her and she kept hitting the the mouse everywhere she was going. She was in the grocery store. She was driving in her car and she kept making sure that her mouse was awake. So it showed available on her screen. And so, yes, we want to look at data, but I think this is an opportunity. And I really see this as an opportunity for all organizations to go back and clarify what are your mission, vision, and values and really be managing to those values. So we want to have metrics and we want to understand it, but how important are our values when evaluating that? And if the idea was what we empower our people and we trust our people and we have um, integrity as one of our values, then some of that logging on and being on, we already consider that table stakes. And so what we want to look for is how can we recognize that in a value-based system for employees to say you're really part of this. You know, I think more than anything, what's driving quiet quitting is that we devote a lot of time um, to our jobs. And in fact, it becomes part of our identity. And so making sure that we are bringing on employees and we're promoting those values and those missions that we're trying to accomplish within the organization and allow our employees to take hold of that so that it then becomes part of their identity as well. That's how we get true engagement in the workplace. Yeah, Tanya, thank you so much for being a part of our very first ever Employers Lounge. And thank you for all the great work you do with our members and you stay safe and stay out of the rainy weather there. Thanks, Phil, and congratulations on 200. Yes, thank you very much. All right. You know, Nick, the one thing we didn't get back to was the poll results with the new formatting. I promise to our listeners we'll get this uh, this timeline down crisp and sharp. Uh, how about we uh, get those turned around quickly and Bert and I can post those out on LinkedIn? Uh, yeah, I'll have it uh, probably within an hour or so, an yeah, hour or two. We'll get right. it to you guys and you guys can post it up. All right, Bert. So what do you think of the new programming and the great job that Nick at uh, Feature Group has done? 
Nick, very well done. We appreciate all the hard work you've put into the new uh, program format. Format, It's fun, it's energetic, and we hope that the audience uh, receives it very well. We'd love to get your comments as well. If there's something you like or didn't like, let us know. We will continue to fine tune this for you uh, as we want to bring you timely and accurate information so you can more effectively lead your organization. Bert, take us away. Join us next week, next Thursday at 7.30 a.m. Central Time. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Feature Group. Everybody take care. If you've ever been to a career fair, there are many different companies there all clamoring for the attention of these 22, 23-year-olds just about to graduate college. And we needed something that set us apart. So we produced a VR video that showed a glimpse in the life of what it was like to work for Nortech. But they could do so in a way that really was pushing the edge of technology, which is how we wanted to be seen by those candidates. We empower our employees to reach forward and look for those new opportunities. And the VR technology, using it during the recruiting process, allowed us to do that.